The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 400 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets, our pins have character. This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the galaxy's first interactive Tribble that you can control with your very own smartphone. See their limited edition giant silver Tribble available for pre-order today at sciencediv.com. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. Hi, this is John Billingsley, Dr. Phil Flocks from Star Trek Enterprise. Now, I'm reading something that was written for me, and I think they could have done better. So this yes. is not me. This is them. My prescription for you is a healthy dose of the Track Geeks podcast starring Dan Davidson and Bill. He could have done better, Smith. It truly is the best medicine. Oh, come on, boys. And here's how they close it. Doctor's orders. Shame, tisk tisk. For the record, that was Dan Davidson that wrote that. That was me. <laughs> Wow. Well, that's uh, even better because now it's forever blamed on Bill. That's forever blamed on Bill. There <laughs> Thank you, you, Mr. Bacula. There you go. Ooh, <laughs> wow. All right. All right. primary education division of Podfleet Command. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings to you, learners all over the galaxy, and welcome to episode number 296 of the Trek Geeks Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. So excited to be here because I get to learn something I didn't know today. This is, I'm always happy to learn something. My mom always used to say when I was a kid, if I learn something, I can go to bed. And the one thing I've learned today is that I'm going to co-host this with somebody who is completely unteachable. He's the the largely dim-witted Dan Davidson. And Dan, it's good to have you here, buddy. It's good to be here. I just came from Keiko O'Brien's class over on Deep Space Nine, and that was a waste of time, too. So I figured I might as well come here. But wow. boom. There we go. Thank the, you. Uh, school didn't get firebombed <laughs> while you were there. <laughs> yeah, it's good to be here, man. I'm very excited about this week's episode. It's something that we've been planning for a little while, and and it's always good to welcome someone back to the podcast just because why would they? So when they do, it's really kind of exciting. So I'm pretty excited. We're going to be welcoming uh, Dr. Erin McDonald back to the show, uh, and we're going to talk about something that's pretty awesome. She wrote a book, a book, and it's about space, and it's for kids, and I almost understand all of it. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Almost all of it. There's Almost. a couple of pages that are still kind of beyond your grasp. Not even um, sure what it says. But yeah, I mean, you and I really don't have much of a cause to look at children's books you know, at this hmm. phase in our lives. True. You know, um, we we are nerds of a certain age, and um, 
when we heard that this was happening, we're like, wait a second, a Star Trek children's book. And then we said, wait a second, Dr. Aaron. Yeah. We have to look at this. And I'm so glad we did because it's just such a great way to expose kids to these concepts. It really is. And with Prodigy geared towards kids and we got these books now coming out, they, it's nice to see that they're focusing on bringing young people into the franchise and become fans like we were when we were kids. Um, so it's very exciting. I'm, I'm really I'm really proud of, of what she's done. I'm super excited to talk to her. Um, and I know it's just going to be a great conversation because I guarantee you I'm going to learn at least three things in this podcast. <laughs> so I'm very excited about it. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be that many. What's I, wow. I, Can I put my 20 bucks down on the over-under somewhere? <laughs> the over-under is one and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, you keep the points. I'm just going to bet you're not going to learn three. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a bet, man. Okay. All right. <laughs> that's a drink in Vegas, you know? Uh, Absolutely. When all is said and done. We can do that. So we'll bet, a, uh, between us, we'll bet a drink in Vegas that you don't learn three things. Okay. Sounds good. I like it. Uh, okay. Well, uh, let's you and I do a little business with America, and then we'll be right back with um, somebody infinitely smarter than we are. Infinitely. Dan, of course, it wouldn't be an episode of Trek Geeks without taking a moment to thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Yeah, absolutely, man. You got it right. We love doing it every single week. Hey, it's a new month, and that means new pins from Fansets. And these pins that are available right now at Fansets.com are really special to me because this guy is just so awesome. In honor of Doug Jones returning to the role of Billy Butcherson in the new Disney Plus movie Hocus Pocus 2, our friends over at Fansets are having a Doug Jones release day. So head on over to Fansets.com right now to get these awesome new pins. The Captain Saru autograph pin, which is the second pin to be exclusively signed by Doug Jones. And I got to tell you, the border for this autograph pin is just perfection. You want to check it out. Also available is the Micro Crew Captain Saru pin from Discovery Season 4. Uh, and this one here is pretty awesome. It's the Doug Jones Captain Saru pin. That's right, your favorite Kelpian and your favorite actor back-to-back. The magic of technology. It's all on the same pin. It's awesome. You got to check it out. And they're all available right now at fansets.com. They really are amazing pins too, Dan. Almost as amazing as Doug is himself. And of course, we love Doug. And of course, guess what, people? In addition to the amazing Doug Jones pins added on November 1st, Fansets also had a surprise pin drop this week, and it's none other than the Star Trek Picard La Serena emblem. That's right. They're all available now. So look, you know what I'm going to say. You know the drill. I know it. You know it. What's stopping you? Head on over to Fansets.com. Put all these new awesome Doug Jones pins in your cart, along with some accessories or gift cards, other stuff. To check out, be sure to enter the special discount code TrekGeeks for 10% off your entire order. That's TrekGeeks in all capital letters with no spaces. And of course, don't forget when you spend more than 30 bucks on fansets.com, you will get free shipping in the United States. Fansets, our pins have character. And we thank our friends for Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network.
Okay, so look, friends, if, if, I've said it. I say it all the time. If you haven't checked out the Galaxy's first interactive Tribble from Science Division, you really are missing out. You you truly are. This officially licensed Tribble is just an amazing high-quality Star Trek collectible, which we know you're going to be proud to add to your collection. You and I both have one, Dan, and we love our Tribbles. So much work and creativity went into creating this Tribble, too, right down to the softest fur you can possibly imagine. Plus, the sounds this Tribble makes... You know they're straight out of the original series. You'll swear that this Tribble was delivered straight to your door right from Space Station K7. Absolutely. They're not dangerous. I'm going to say that right now, and I may say it they're again not? later. Um, no, they're not. Um, plus, the Science Division Tribble has its own app that you can actually use to control the Tribble and tell it what sounds to make. It's not necessary to have it, but it's so much fun to make it scream at people like annoying podcast co-hosts or really nice uh, podcast co-host like I have, but I'm just I'm just going to leave it at that. Fret not. Everyone except Bill knows this. I'm going to remind you right now, Bill, buddy. I just said it a few seconds ago. Tribbles are not dangerous, my friend. <laughs> You're just the worst. So head on over to sciencediv.com today to pick up one of the galaxy's first interactive tribbles for your very own. Plus, while you're there, check out their new and improved shop accessory section where you can get all kinds of science division stuff like t-shirts or tank tops like the one Dan has on right now. In fact, that's all he's wearing and it's a little alarming. Or the legendary science division tote bag. Science Division, Bill. Trouble, trouble's never been this fun. And for eight credits ahead uh, or body, we'll just go ahead and thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode. <laughs> John Billingsley, Phil Flox, Hollywood Food Coalition here. Guess what? Trek Talks 2. It's happening. You asked for it. You got it. January 14, eight hours of premium Star Trek entertainment, amazing guests, mad capery, insightful social commentary, musical interludes. Support HoFoCo. Check us out at HoFoCo.org, helping people in need for almost 40 years. 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the 14th of January at TrekTalks.net. Live long and mark your calendars. Again, TrekTalks.net. So, Bill, let me break it down for you, buddy. She's an astrophysicist. She's an aeronautical engineer. She's a real-life science consultant for the Star Trek franchise. And she's a returning guest to Trek Geeks. Yeah, we first welcomed her to the flagship over two years ago, back on episode 221 in June of 2020. And now she's the author of a brand new children's book called Star Trek, My First Book of Space. I've read it. I understand most of it. It's pretty awesome, and we're going to talk all about it right now. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Aaron McDonald. It is so great to have you back. <laughs> Thank you. I broke my brain a little bit with the two years because I definitely would have said it was like a year ago. But yeah. what? <laughs> That's what COVID did to people. Yep. It did. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely. Did. I just want to get this on the record. You were actually returning to this show of your own free will and volition. Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> uh that's the, my story and i'm sticking with it yeah that sounds that sounds good to me so um before we get involved in talking about the book uh aaron 
Let's talk about a couple of things that have happened in your life since we last had you on the show and we're kind of kind of out there in for social media and for the public to see. So it's okay to talk about it. First of all, <laughs> Bill and I did not get to go on the cruise, which has been very disappointing that we haven't been able to do it, but we did get to see some pretty awesome video of a certain proposal that took place while on the Star Trek cruise. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, so I got engaged on the cruise and it was delightful. I, I've been married before. My now husband has been married before as well. So uh, there wasn't that big pressure for either of us you know Mm -hmm. we're in our 30s and 40s and have talked about it and all the adult things that we do um so we talked about it but honestly it was a huge surprise for me and like i was people were being so shady around me that i kind of had a mini meltdown where i was like do people just like not like me anymore and like (laughs) no one's talking to me and and then you know the proposal happened i think on night two and everyone was like oh my god i can finally like talk to you again because every time I saw you I was just going to start crying and (laughs) no it was super memorable it was a surprise uh my now husband Aaron Aaron is our friends fondly call him um (laughs) uh planned it all and with the help of our friends Mary Chifo and Maddie Goff and got a whole bunch of people all the discovery people came it was right after I hosted trivia twice Mm -hmm. um, that night, and it was science trivia with my friends uh, that I'm sure you know, Professor Muhammad Noor and their good friend Stephen Grenade. And and I was just focused on that. And it was like getting to host science Star Trek trivia in a pub is like already like peak event for me. (laughs) Like That's what I'm (laughs) that's my happiest place. And then, yeah, they all had conspired and Aaron um got up with a surprise question at the end and of course then i it clicked pretty fast and but it was just really special you know like there's one thing to have a public proposal but it's another thing to have like a public proposal where it's like a hundred people that you know and love and all already are in a common space together so it was really really fun that's so that awesome. Is, that is yeah. really awesome. So, of course, after that took place, of course, then the big day comes along and you get married. And and I got to tell you, I saw some of the posts that you did. Um, it was a th- it had theme uh, and <laughs> and all brides look look wonderful. You look fantastic. And you were not Star Trek, which was, was surprising, not. but it was still pretty awesome. Thanks. Yeah, people were asking us on the cruise if we were going to get married on the next cruise. And I was like, there's going to be way too much of a certain other franchise at this wedding to feel comfortable (laughs) holding us on a Star Trek cruise. Um, Because Star Wars and like Han and Leia have always been a big part of Aaron's and my relationship. And like, I'm just, I love, I love Leia. I love Carrie Fisher. She's always my favorite character. I have a giant Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, General Organa tattoo that I got when I got divorced. (laughs) and um and one of my big things was like i always wanted to wear the dress from the end of the new hope yeah as like my wedding dress and so i found some great cosplay makers uh sionok studios up in seattle that i commissioned it from they made did a great job it's like camera perfect yeah and uh and then this jerk wouldn't tell me what he was dressing as (laughs) because he knew what i was gonna dress as and so that was a surprise. And he dressed up as a Scottish Han Solo. So check that box. <laughs> <laughs> and we got married at the um, 
at the Scum and Villainy Cantina in Hollywood. So we booked it out for the night, which was really special. It was where we had our first date. And it's my favorite place in L.A. because it's the Scum and Villainy Cantina. (laughs) But it wasn't a strictly Star Wars wedding. We um, there was a huge Star Trek presence, obviously, from our friends and family. Um, Mary Chifo, uh, Chancellor Laurel, was the officiant of it. Um, and it was a, it was a half Klingon ceremony, half pagan hand fasting. And so it was real and official and awesome. So cool. <laughs> if anyone amazing. needs our ceremony, I will share it with anyone. Cause it was, it was great. <laughs> you know, I, I thought that mine was pretty good, you know, with Elvis, but I'm going to say yours probably <laughs> is light years beyond no pun intended. <laughs> That was really, it was really fun. We got really into it. Mary made like a whole scroll. She commanded the room in her Klingon self. Oh, wow. That was really cool. <laughs> so the, the spoiler alert is you said yes, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so burying the lead. <laughs> yeah. I just want to be sure. I mean, it happened. You know, I'm, I'm not that bright, which is why I've been reading a children's book. well you got both of me beat i mean you have star wars wedding bill's got elvis i like to joke that the woman who married susan and i was like Catherine hepburn um but wasn't really her so i'm in the distant third place to you two and i'm and i'm okay with that that's 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 all right right. it's not a competition dan it isn't it isn't absolutely and i would have i would I would not even come last. It would be worse than last. And that's okay. But congratulations. Um, the, the things that we saw on social media were wonderful. Um, we got to um, to get together very briefly at Mission Chicago and chat. It was great to see you then. Um, so now here we are. Um, yes. You can add a children's book author to your <laughs> extensive and amazing list of things that you have accomplished in your young life, 30s and 40s. These youngsters, Bill. I know. Um, <laughs> Kids, I say. Kids. I know, really. Um, I guess my first question, Aaron, in regards to the book is, what was your inspiration to do this other than being on a podcast two years ago with two real stupid guys? I'm hoping that's not the inspiration, but I'll be okay with it if it is. Yeah, same. <laughs> All right. I came out of that podcast and I was like, look, I've just got to write a book for like age zero. <laughs> Maybe that'll work. No, no, it it actually came around really wonderfully. So one of my friends who's also on this cruise uh, is Rob Perlman, and he's written a ton of fun Star Trek books, fun with Kirk and Spock. He's written. Yeah, you've yep. probably Great seen them. Um, and he had this idea to write a children's book because he was like, you know, he's working in that space. And there were people coming up to him saying like, oh, my God, like fun with Kirk and Spock was like my kids like first book. Like that's what they were obsessed with. And so he wanted to really target like that super young age group by making a board book and wanted it to sort of be steam themed. So STEM plus arts. And so he was going to write Star Trek, my first book of colors, and I was going to write Star Trek, my first book of space. And so it was really Rob's idea and, and getting that, getting it made by Ben Bella books, um, their smart pop imprint, they were totally behind it. Um, and it was fun. It was like one of the hardest things I've ever had to really? write. Yeah. Writing science for ages zero to two is like, it's like 11 sentences that are the most agonized over wordsmith yeah. sentences <laughs> you can possibly come up with. How, how do you, well, and that's really kind of what I'm interested in. I mean, obviously you've written papers. I mean, you've, mm-hmm. you've got your PhD. You've probably written 
voluminous things that explain in great detail all kinds of things that are way above my head. Um, <laughs> how do you parse it down into 11 sentences that are so targeted and focused? I mean, that had to be yeah. really an arduous process to some extent. Well, yeah. I mean, that was really the only prompt I had was just to write a kid's baby board book, you know, something that has some lyrics, like lyricism to it, some sort of cadence, you know, pentameter that makes it for babies who aren't actually literally understanding the words still good to hear. But the big driver for me and the inspiration for where we came up with those 11 sentences, however, it's about 11 sentences, um, was like, what I find the most common when I go and give my science talks and when I talk to wonderful people like you is that, <laughs> that there's, it's like a lot of people learned about the planets and that's it. They right. learned the planets and the solar system and maybe have heard of the Milky Way galaxy. And that's kind of where it starts and stops. And, um, and then science fiction and media really conflates star systems, solar systems with galaxies, with the whole universe, with galaxy clusters, you know, they'll talk about, oh, we're going to travel to the nearest galaxy. And it's like, mm, probably not, because there's like a hell of a lot of stars that you could travel to first. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Space is big and it's going to take you a long time. Um, So I wanted to have this book, basically what I call it is the cosmological address. You think about living on Earth in the solar system, in the Milky Way galaxy, in the local cluster, in our universe. And that was really the theme that kind of drove this. I wanted to make sure we went beyond the solar system and talked about things other than just moons and planets. And um, and I'm pretty proud of it. I think I think we achieved it. I'm already lost. <laughs> <laughs> just read the book again, man. Just yeah, read I mean, it again. That's what I gotta say. General, though, Dan. <laughs> One of the things One that helps... <laughs> Thank you. One Bill. page at a time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I love, uh, in addition to those sentences that you wrote, are the illustrations. Uh, mm -hmm. Jason Jason Kayser did a fantastic job with with putting these drawings of Star Trek stuff with those real pictures that you talked about. I think that's really one of the benefits of writing a, a children's book like this is you get to have those visuals that that are are, are really uh, spot on. But I got to say, as I as I'm scanning through it again. Um, I think my favorite page is the one with the nebula because you talk about how some people think that there might be coffee in there. And that's one of the best remembering lines from when <laughs> we started our podcast and of course, Voyager. So, so, uh, so kudos on that one. I thought that was pretty Thanks. cool. <laughs> that's my favorite page too. But I, I'm glad you mentioned the illustrations because we were very careful to like the words in the book are all true. Like it's, it's all science. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, talking about transporters and warp drives and like conflating science fiction with science the stuff that's the content that's in there is science and we carried that theme through to the illustrations as well because all the images in the book the photography is all real photography yes. now some of it might be composite photography you know where we took in different wavelengths and combined them together to make a pretty nebula um but it's still all real images of space uh superimposed with clearly cartoon graphic illustrations mm -hmm. of Star Trek. So you're still able, even if it's at a very subconscious level, delineating between space science and Star Trek. And I think that that was really important as well. Were there any concepts that you thought were just too, too much for kids of that age? I mean, you know, did you sort of, you know, I mean, as you think about them, they're probably, you know, uh, it's like putting on your shoe or something like that. You know it by rote. I mean, you don't have to even put thought into it, but 
as you're sitting down to craft this book, like I'm on the exoplanets page now. Yeah. I can tell you, I'm 53 years old. I didn't know what an exoplanet was until I picked up your book. <laughs> See, you. I love that. Are, are there are there any concepts that you were afraid kids just might not understand that didn't make the cut? Um, the only thing I think that we wanted to include that ended up getting cut was talking about black holes. And it's not because kids couldn't get it. It's because it would have been too much. Ex- like there was no sort of fine line. We played around with trying to fit that in, but we couldn't really thread that needle of making a concise explanation that wouldn't require a couple extra sentences to say, you know, I do have a page in there on dark matter, you know, so we tried to talk about that, but (laughs) it was actually a really, really funny (laughs) moment where um, Rob and I were meeting and I'd sent him drafts and we were talking about these different things. And he's like, yeah, I think we just need like a little bit more explanation for like what dark matter is. And I'm like, we don't know Rob. And he's like, no, but like just something a little bit more explanations. I'm like, no, Rob, like scientists don't know what dark matter is. <laughs> like I can't explain it anymore because there is no explanation for dark matter. And so, um, so that was kind of a funny interchange. And yeah, then Rob is like, and that's why you're writing the science book. <laughs> but- <laughs> the the best part about that page for me, like the only part that I understood is deep space nines in it. So <laughs> Thank you for that. Exactly. So you you talked about it a little bit, but I'm kind of curious as if you can even talk about this kind of stuff, because I'm not sure if you can. Were you given any specific parameters about it has to be so many pages, it can't be more than this? And and how many you talk about it being the most difficult sentences you've ever put together when writing something? How many drafts did you actually go through and how many changes did you make? Um, I, I don't want to sound, this is going to sound insulting. And I don't mean it's not, it's, it doesn't seem like it would be a lot because it's, it's, it's specific and very laid out in however 11, but there's a lot of work that probably went into this thing, yeah. as you said. Yeah. I think the only guidelines I really had was like, I think they might've said, 11 pages, you know, like you're, which, you know, it ends up being 22, obviously the fold mm-hmm. open, but like you got oh, yeah. 11 pages. So about 11 sentences. And I think a hundred to 150 words total is like wow. it. Wow. And so that's, and then that was all the brief. And so that's where, like I said, I mean, I really went back and forth of like, do I talk, like, what do I talk about? Right. Do yeah. I talk about just planets? I mean, I could spend the 11 pages just talking about our solar system. Right. And just leave it at that. Um, but I really felt like I wanted to go beyond that because not, like I said, not a lot of people go beyond the solar system. Um, and yeah, I mean, I have very (laughs) fond memories when I first started writing it of really feeling writer's block of just like, how do you even like, where, how do you start typing this? And so I went to a pub. So well, we're a theme here. Aaron <laughs> came with me and we sat there and it was like, all right, I'm just going to explain. I'm going to say stuff out loud and we're just going to transcribe it because, because, you know, I've worked in science museums. I do all these public events. I, I have toddlers come up to me all the time and want to learn about the moon or want to learn about the sun and, you know, just really basic stuff that I feel I'm able to explain to their level and so just kind of talking through it and then just narrowing everything down and then having a lot of back and forth with like Rob and the other publishers and the editors 
to just like, does it make sense to you? Does it flow? You know? And like I said, you also have to do sort of that edit pass to see if it's going to be like lyrical, if it's going to be easy to read and, and sound nice when a baby's being read it, mm-hmm. you know, that um, they're going to want to read it again. So. Have you yeah. given any thought, you know, you, you talked about, you know, being able to talk about the planets kind of ad nauseum. Have you thought about doing like sequel books on the planets or maybe even individual planets? I mean, I would love that. <laughs> Anyone listening who has the power to make that happen. Yes, please. I will do that. I will write that. Because I do think, you know, kids, every kid that I've seen or talked to, um, what's interesting about this is obviously it's geared for like zero to two. So like pre-reading. Yeah. But I have friends whose kids are like five to seven that are actually, even though it's a board book, they kind of don't care about that. They're not feeling like I'm too old for this because the images are really cool and they can read the words and it's things like exoplanets. It's things like nebulas that they're new words for them. And these six and seven year olds are really enjoying reading that. So I think for me, if I was given just all the power to do that, it would be to write a follow on for that age group, you know, like an early kid education one. And there, there's a lot of those out there, you know, National Geographic has like my first book of space. that's kind of targeted at that age group. But, but I just think that, um, yeah, there's much more to explore there. One point of correction, um, ages zero to two and podcast co-hosts, um, I think is very important. Uh, it's true. Delineation there. <laughs> Look, it didn't say, it just said, edu- it didn't say age or educational level. So. <laughs> wow. That, she, she's given us a lot of credit in assuming we have any education whatsoever. <laughs> that's right. I'll go with it. I'm good. Yeah, with that's it. fine. I'm going to roll with it. Uh, let's, yeah. Today I'm going to be smart. <laughs> yeah good luck um so one of the things that's also cool uh i like calling you doc i think that's i hope that's okay doc, um is <laughs> is um you talked about rob perlman before uh and you talked about um the star trek my my first book of colors that that he did and and when we were setting up um to have this discussion we were lucky enough to get both copies of your book and his book they go together so mm-hmm. perfectly and as Bill mentioned just a second ago, I, I, for one, and I hope people are listening, I think it would be fantastic to have a whole set of these. I could see these set up in a children's bedroom on a shelf that is like, you know, feet long because there's just so many different things that you can talk about. I would love to have you do a whole one just on comments. I'm just going to say yeah. that right now. So I love it. Yeah, <laughs> they do. They look, they look really cool on a shelf they do. together. Yeah. And yeah, no, I appreciate that. Thank you. You oh, hear that, turn. publishers? Yeah. <laughs> you hear that, Paramount? Let's get this together. That's right. We need more Star Trek children's books. Damn it. I love it. Pop yes. Of course, we probably shouldn't say damn it around the kids. Earmuffs, kids. Earmuffs. <laughs> Target um, audience here. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, considering that the hosts are like children, I mean, you know, that's, <laughs> that's really much just what it's about. I, um, I, as, as I read this, so, so you keep referring to this as a board book, and I'm assuming that's mm-hmm. because um the pages are pretty rigid like heavy cardboard mm-hmm. is that what that means yeah yeah it's a um it it's yeah it's a type of book at this okay. i learned this too um oh, okay. but it is it's um where they're literally cardboard thick pages and it's just a durability thing for toddlers right, right. that kids are just gonna kind of chew on it <laughs> bend the pages back and forth and back and forth and it's just a durability thing 
Yeah, exactly. I have one follow-up. Who's responsible for the O-Birth class? <laughs> stuck in the asteroid. Vessel stuck in the asteroid. That's so great. <laughs> um, because I look at that and immediately I'm thinking, oh, poor Grissom. But I I, I love the O-Birth class because it looks so weird. And then to see I mean, it kind of stuck there is even more. Admiral awesome. Pressman loved it. <laughs> Admiral Pressman, yeah. <laughs> we all, because between Rob, Jason, and I, I mean, we're just all hardcore Trekkies. And so, yeah, for every single page, because, yeah, if you break it down, right, every single page is like planets, asteroids, you know, solar system, whatever, um, galaxies. And so for each one of those, and like Nebula, we just kind of like real references that were in an asteroid (laughs) (laughs) it's good stuff i love it i really do so that thank you (laughs) that brings me to one question in regards to that is when you were deciding okay you had to first of all you had to decide which pictures of planets or the moon which i didn't know was just a rock by the way i thought it was more than just a rock but but that's just me um as you had decided on these pictures then you had to decide on what would be put in by Jason. How how in depth did those conversations get? Were there any arguments? Not the right word, but you're like, I want Voyager for the Nebula. That's gonna happen. And did you have did you have discussions where some things changed um, yeah. based on those conversations as to what would go in? Not a ton. I mean, I kind of gave ideas for the things that I really liked. Like for me, it was having the um, Bajoran solar sail was like one that I really Mm -hmm. wanted. Obviously, a Janeway reference was one I really wanted. Um, But really, Jason kind of ran with it. And I just think did an awesome job. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things where you get it and you're like, yeah, no notes. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) This is genius. Those are the best meetings to have, aren't they? (laughs) I I have a non-book question for you because this came to my mind as I was watching Star Trek Prodigy. All right. I'd like to think that I'm more than reasonably intelligent. Dan, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> so uh, obviously the protostar can go really, really fast. If we talk about it in kids terms, why is it they don't all turn into lizards? <laughs> this is an excellent question. And I'm glad you asked. So the prodigy crowd, they came up with the idea of the protostar. And when I started on the show, they were still like writing the season one script. So I was brought in pretty early, but not like day one. And so they had had this idea for an engine that would be a star. <laughs> it was one of those funny moments where they're like, Aaron, just sit down. Like, <laughs> just hear us out. Just hear us out. And then um, they would be able to basically go faster than warp. And so that's kind of where it's not thinking about like you're going warp 10 or um, which would turn you into a lizard. This is thinking more about going, um, you know, that you basically build. So I scienced it from that prompt and I was like, all right, I'll just I'll science it Um, from that prompt. Essentially, the way the protos drive and the protostar works is that when they want to go, when they want to engage the protostar, they compress all the gas, which makes it release a ton of energy which they then use that energy to build a wormhole that they then travel at warp through. So oh. that's that's how the protostar works and it it's almost I mean again I don't I hate to evoke other franchises but it's the best example of another sci-fi franchise that does that sort of thing is actually Star Wars. Like that's kind of how the hyper light drive works is that they build a wormhole as they're traveling through. Um, 
Yeah. As, as long as it's not a trans warp hub with stupid steel girders, I'm good with whatever game answer <laughs> wow. you give. Yeah. Shots oh my God. Fired. No, not shots wow. fired at her. You know how no, I feel about the steel girders, Bill. <laughs> so it's funny that you say it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a proto star in the engine. Cause I think a star is as big, like the Dyson sphere, which don't get me started on that. I'm not a big fan of that episode and how it <laughs> never looked the right size, but we can get into that too, if you want, because I think that's important. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yes. Correct. Yeah. But um, so this starship has the power of a star in it, but it seems so much smaller than what people would think a regular so, size star would be. My official answer is that we've never found a proto star <laughs> that is that small. OK, could we? Maybe. Space is weird. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely and I'm not I'm not throwing them under the bus or anything like that's definitely a stretch in those in the spectrum of science to fiction. That's like the fiction size to still have. It's awesome. It's still a proto star and you could still yeah. learn like a proto star is a thing. It's a ball yeah. of gas that's very hot that just hasn't started fusing hydrogen and helium. So it's just a really hot ball of gas. And I think now you try to think of like, well, did they capture it? Like how, how would they get that? You can still kind of, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say BS your way through because it's a kid's show and we're talking <laughs> about kid stuff. Um, but you could say, right, that they got that much gas together and then just compressed it to the point that it would be what would be considered a proto star where it's giving off a ton of heat, but it's not actually fusing hydrogen together. So I'll, I, I feel, I feel pretty confident sciencing that. So Trek Geeks is a protostar because you've got two guys who expel a lot of gas <laughs> and it's not quite yet fused together and we radiate a lot of heat. So what I'm hearing you say is we are living examples of a protostar. Sure. I love it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> your, your, ex your explanation was awesome, but I'm more with enterprising scientists have built satellites and robots to explore the solar system for us. <laughs> Page six. Ladies and gentlemen, they're not even numbered, Dandage. How did you count that high? I don't, I guess. I love it. I love it. So, <laughs> while we're on the topic of some of the shows that you do work on, mm -hmm. and, and I'm throwing this out, it could be a, a very quick no answer because you didn't, or it could be something that you can't talk about. Has there been anything that has happened with either Prodigy or any of the shows that you're a consultant on that? You you had an idea, sciencey, mm. to work in a show that worked awesome and came out great on on television. Um, the thing is, is I don't want to take credit for the mm -hmm. genius writers and showrunners behind yep. the shows because I do think Fantastic they job. they write amazing shows. All of them mm -hmm. do so well, and because like where I kind of want to move my professional career you know, was following the steps of Andre Bramanis and Noreen Shakar from, mm -hmm. you know, the previous years, um, moving as a science advisor into the writer space with working with discovery, especially I worked with discovery from season three, which was when Michelle paradise came in. Um, I have a very close relationship with them and they know that that's like where I want my career to go. And so I've been honored to be able to like shadow the writer's room, you know, oh, and cool. help give them ideas and help, especially for season four, you know, which I can talk about that one um, to be able to just help bounce ideas around, you know? And I think one of the things that collectively I loved was when they just, when they realized that the uh, 10 C were hunting uh Oh God, 
baronium, baronium, the thing that synthesizes the omega particle, right, which right. is like such a deep cut. But like when we like piece that all together, okay. the, you could just like the, all the Star Trek fans in the room were just like, <laughs> is it is it awesome for you for what you do that when 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 just normal people are watching the show and they hear all this stuff and like, oh, it's just science fiction. None of that's real. And you're like, yeah, it's real. It's absolutely <laughs> real. You guys don't have yeah. any idea how real it is. That must be a pretty cool feeling. That's pretty fun. And just, I think too, when people, it, it sparks a thing to be like, is that real? And then people look it up and they're like, holy crap, like that's actually a thing. Um, that makes me really happy. Uh, what stresses me out and with all the love in the world is people who are like, I'm going to freeze frame every single part of this episode and make sure that everything is accurate. Yeah, They're the ones that keep me up at night. And yeah. I say that with love because I'm a fan. I get it. I feel that urge. <laughs> but in my in my role, it's it can be stressful at times. The, the I do my best. The people that are not astrophysicists or aeronautical engineers freeze framing to show to tell you when you're wrong. Yeah, that's pretty dumb. <laughs> I <gotta laughs> well, say. and I think too, it's just hard because it's like like what you asked, you know, about um stuff that I've been able to contribute because it's such a collaborative process. You know, mm -hmm. making TV just it's like stuff just goes up and down the chain and left and right, and like so many people just bounce stuff around. And some stuff might not work for people. Some stuff really does work for others. And so you do have to kind of find that balance. And there's stuff where it's just like, look, we did, like I said, my piece, I can sleep at night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now they might not take it, you know, and that's not a failing or an oversight on the science advisor. That's just a decision we had to make at the time. That's really interesting. You know, it's especially you know, when you think about the fact that, you know, I, I put it out there, whether they use it or not is is really up to them. I, I'd almost think it kind of behooves them to kind of use it. Um, because I think that's, to me personally, as a viewer, that's got to be the challenge yeah. in writing the scene, you know, to sort yeah. of make it fit what we know. Right. But there's so many things that come into that factor. And when you kind of do this hierarchy of priorities, when you're writing television, that it's really about like emotion and then story and then logic <laughs> and accuracy you know and and it can be any number of stuff from just like we don't have a long enough scene to explain this right it's gonna throw off the action the pacing if we try to give a long explainer moment or like we don't have a graphics budget to make it look like it's mm. supposed to look you know like there's so many little factors that yeah. come into making these decisions that it's like they just still and i'm very grateful that star trek has me and they they want me and they do use me a lot i mean 95 percent of the stuff that i advise on does get approved and does make it in and the stuff that doesn't is a very conscious omission you mm, know sure. if that makes sense where it's like we just said no okay it doesn't work for what we're trying to do otherwise when we were in chicago we talked a lot about mathematical equations that appear on screen and yeah. i'm guessing that <laughs> in prodigy 111 all of the mathematical equations we saw on screen were you. <laughs> I was so proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Wow. Well, and too, I just, I love Rock Talk so yes. much. Like, I'm yeah. so attached to her. Like, she's my child. <laughs> <laughs> you can read her the book of space. <laughs> Available now at your favorite bookseller. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, again, what was great working with that prodigy team and especially building sort of Rock Talk's arc of trying to discover other sciences, you mm-hmm. know, when she goes in and she's like, what are all the different sciences out there? Um, and then she rules out orbital dynamics. <laughs> and all of those equations were orbital dynamics. So um, I really love that. That just brought me so much joy. And people freeze framed it and checked. I'm so, sure they did. And, they, sure and they're they like, did. yep. They're all right. <laughs> yep. Let me throw a time loop uh, curveball at you. Oh, Aaron, let's right. pretend that we are back in the late 60s. Do you think that Star Trek as we know it would have been as big a success now, even though it was deemed a failure at the time because it only lasted the three seasons? If they had an actual science person like you giving them information and and ideas and things to work with with their writing staff do you think it would have been what it is today or was it good that we didn't have that back then now that we're so much more technologically advanced and know so much more that it's become more of a benefit now than it would have back then i that's a great question um from what i understand at the time gene roddenberry Obviously, rooms were very different. Networks were very different. How Mm -hmm. people managed shows was very different. But from what I've heard, Gene Roddenberry knew people who were working at like Raytheon and Hughes and would run ideas past them. Now, Mm -hmm. whether that was in a formal role or just hanging out, you know, because, yeah, (laughs) because who would have thought? Because the the anecdote that I've heard especially is that he floated the idea of the warp drive to someone, but he called it the time warp drive. Mm -hmm. And there was a a buddy of his who worked at Raytheon who was like, "Mm, time warp. Not so much. Now, blissfully, this was like pre-Rocky Horror, so I think they dodged a couple bullets there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think what Star Trek did benefit from in the 60s wasn't necessarily like having or not having a science advisor but i think what kept it going in part was the current space race like the fact that you know the original series aired from 66 to 69 which was like peak space race you Mm -hmm. know in 66 we hadn't even landed on the moon yet and we were in the throes of all of that yeah and so a lot of stuff that was happening in space exploration was happening in parallel with star trek coming out And I mean, we've all heard those stories about how Nichelle Nichols was inspiring people to become astronauts and and all of this that I feel like that general societal enthusiasm for space exploration, Star Trek checked that box Mm -hmm. and it didn't check that box enough to not get canceled, but it checked it enough to build a hardcore fan base who were like, we are here we want to get here and we're taking little steps that we can see that roadmap and we can get excited about it. Gotcha. I like that. Wow. That's, that's a, a great question though. Yeah. I'm amazed he came up with that. I did not write that. <laughs> and it was right off the, I didn't even write it down. It just came into my head. I'm surprised I actually didn't screw up the wording. So thank you. You need to drink more when we do this stuff. That's eight years we've been doing this. It's the first time you've nailed a question, like right off the bat. Cheers. Um, so, so you, you mentioned writing and, and wanting that, sort of move your career or, or add writing to sort of your, your toolbox aside from star Trek, do you have any sort of passion projects that you're, you're working on or that you're trying to develop um, yeah. along those lines? 
No, I mean, I have a number of scripts as samples that I've been working on for the last couple of years, like whether or not they get pitched as shows themselves or whether it's just for me to showcase my ability to create and tell my own story in the sci-fi space. Um, I've been working on those and uh, and I'm really proud of them. I really found, you know, I've been such a fan of television, especially that it's funny as you get older, the stuff you think, I guess kids these days would call it basic. I don't know. Is that old? I feel like that's already outdated. But <laughs> to me, basic was a programming language in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that you know, I would go through my life and just assume that everyone else was as obsessed with television as I was. And it took me a long time to like real I think I've made this joke with you guys before, but like to realize that like socially it's not normally accepted to just invite people over to just watch TV with you. <laughs> I don't understand this. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> right. And um, and so as I've gotten older, I've realized like how much influence television has had in my life and how much I love it and how much like it's just genuine and just embracing that, right? That that's just a medium that I genuinely love. It's what I want to spend my time doing. And that's okay. <laughs> There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Um, that leading into that is that once I started working in television, I discovered it was a very comfortable medium for me. I had tried to write sci-fi before. I've written fan fiction here and there. No, I will not tell you my username. <laughs> Go to my grave. <laughs> um, but uh, I always struggled in like long form narrative writing. And then once I started reading scripts and I decided to try writing my own, it it was like it just flowed out of me. Like writing television was one of the most natural things I've ever discovered, which was great to be like, oh, I'm good at this and I like it. <laughs> the, the combination of the two has not been met in my career so far. Um, so yeah, so I've just been trying to, and and the other thing too is like, as a TV writer, you're writing for someone else's vision, right? Unless you're the showrunner. Uh, if you're a staff writer, you write for other people. You use their voice, you use their characters, and you get to write your own stories, but with that umbrella. And I honestly love that. Like, that's a medium I love working in. Um, I love just playing with the stuff that I'm given. And uh, so that's been a fun I don't know. It's been a fun journey. It's ongoing. We'll see where it goes. Um, I'm just getting a fire hose of experience working in Star Trek over mm. the last three years yeah. on five shows. Um, and then aside from that, one of the other things that I did this past year was um, with, again, good friend, Mary Chifo. We were uh, going on one of those faded walks where you're kind of like contemplating life in the universe and everything <laughs> being like, what are we going to do? No one's knocking on our door. I was like, let's just make stuff like we're smart. We're smart people. <laughs> and I'd seen enough of the entertainment industry to be like, I'm pretty sure I can produce stuff. Like I used to like manage launching satellites. <laughs> I feel like I can make a film. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Give it a shot. And because I was seeing that that job had a lot of genuinely transferable skills, you're managing a budget, you're managing big picture, you're trying to figure out all the links in the chain and all of the risk analysis that you're doing along the way. I was like, I think I have the skill set to actually like produce a film. Um, and then on top of that, I mean, this is just a whole series of like fate coming together was that I started my own company this year just to be a grown up and manage all of the work I was doing <laughs> to make taxes nicer. And <laughs> I realized I was like, well, now that I have a company, I actually could legitimately produce a film. You know, that yeah. that gives you a lot of credibility to get 
workers comp, you know, to get like film insurance and all these other things that you need. Um, And so Mary's girlfriend, Maddie Goff had written a feature script that had a bunch of female scientists in it. And we had played around with it. And when we made the decision to like, try making a short film, legitimately make a short film we pulled out that script and that was about a year ago now and we filmed it in april of this year and we wrapped in august like post-production finished in august and it's going out to festivals right now it's called every morning yeah thank you it was really fun i did it (laughs) that is so awesome i was gonna ask you what you got coming up but that's that's pretty much all I needed to hear because that's, that's pretty cool. That is fantastic. <laughs> and you. oh my gosh, I'm so I'm so proud to hear about that. That's just great. Thank and, you. And we get to talk wow. to you. So like now we feel like we're special, right, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> it was, I mean, what was great for us was like we got to go to film school. Like honestly, yeah. for like nine months, we just learned every part of making a movie mm-hmm. because we wanted to do it right. We wanted to like from day one use professional equipment, you know, use get get the permits, do all of the correct thing that you would have to do in this industry. And, um, and I think we came out with a really good product. So it's not available publicly yet because yep. it's got to go through all the festivals, but uh, stay tuned. I'll send oh, it to you guys when it's out. Yeah, yeah. That, Absolutely. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, um, we love you. You are so fantastic. We are so happy for the success too. that you have had um, with this book, Star Trek, my first book of space. Dr. Aaron McDonald, thank you so much for coming back. Um, I hope you come back again, but it's Bill and I, so who knows? All bets are off. All bets are off. We'll work on page seven next time. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good for six. that. Thank you so much. And everybody check out the book, no matter what your age, you're going to love it. Thanks again, Dr. Aaron. Just love talking to you. Thanks. Well, Dan, so about that whole over under thing. Yeah. Um, By my account, Mm -hmm. and I kept meticulous notes. (laughs) Um, as you know, as I often do, uh, you always do. Yes. Yeah, so you have a little scratch book right there. I do. I'd like to say you learned two and a half things. Oh, not quite three what? because one of them, you kind of knew. So by my estimation, um, you'll be buying me a martini in Vegas. Maybe Thank I'll buy you, you half much. a martini since you didn't no. give me the half. No, I said you weren't going to learn three. Um, I gave you credit for two and a half. I could have just said two. You uh, almost got there, but as is so often the case, not so much. I did good on Trek Geek, uh, Stump the Geek down in Vegas, though, right? So doesn't that count? We're way. No, that I'm was just, last I'm year. Just, I'm looking for excuses. I'm just. You're, I'll, you're I'll buy you the. I'll buy you the drink. I'll buy you the drink. Jeez, God, it's really the cheapest option. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It was still fun though. Learning those two and a half things was still awesome. And I actually asked a good question that she loved. So I was very excited, and I thought it was just so much fun to talk to her again. I can't wait to see her again in person because she is just a wonderful human being. I'm really psyched that I could learn something like. An exoplanet from Never a children's book <laughs> being, a, you know, in my fifties. So, um, I, neither had I, I mean, I, I think it's such a cool concept and the fact that it's a real thing is even better. Is that where the exocomps come from? No, so, I'm right know, back well, to where I was before. Thank, <laughs> you know who else we want to thank this week? To, no. <laughs> 
Wow. Is that where the exocomps come I, from? I, I wish I could ban you from I your own I should have show. said that to her. She would have thought it was hysterical. I don't think so. I don't think so. Not at all. I'm not funny. Look, no, I'm Thank you. Oh, no, I have this recorded now. I can make <laughs> this my ringtone. Dan Davidson saying, I'm not funny. You've got a lot of ringtones about me. I would actually make that one available if people donated to the Hollywood <laughs> Food Coalition. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll even donate for that one. <laughs> Dan's ringing. I'm not funny. <laughs> uh, well, you know what, Dan? You know what is funny? Hmm. How much we love Five Year Mission. That's a Because I don't think we could love them more, yet we do every single week. Mm-hmm. I think it's amazing. I think it's awesome. They do such a great job. You know, you figure they're a Star Trek band that is creating one song for every episode of the original Star Trek. And as we have said so many times, these are not song parodies. This is not some weird mm-hmm. Al type stuff. These are original compositions. Deep cuts. That kind of, what's that? Deep cuts. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, these are original compositions that enhance your viewing of the episode. Yeah. You know, they make you see them in a different way. And that's why five-year mission is so amazing. It's why their music has always been a part of Trek geeks. It's why they have a podcast on the Trek geeks podcast network. And we want you all to go out to fiveyearmission.net today and get all their CDs and ship them to your house. Right. They make great gifts for your loved ones. They make great gifts for yourself, Dan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we just want everyone to be a huge fan of the band as you and I are. We love them. We, they're fantastic. And the deep cuts, what I meant to say is, you know, the, the things that they sing about makes you think about the episode in ways that you may not have ever thought about them before. Uh, so that's really cool. It's kind of like what happened when I watched the episode that I watched this week. And boy, uh, I got to say, Medusans really can't get a break these days, can they, Bill? Um, on on Prodigy, Zero's an important character, but at the beginning of the season was used by the Diviner to, to just do horrible things. Uh, and then back in TOS, the fact that they can cause people to go insane just by seeing their true form causes great distress for one particular person. Yes, Miranda Jones allows her assistant and uh, world-famous percussionist to travel with her on the Enterprise uh, with Ambassador Kolos, uh, but when it's discovered that he loves Miranda, wants to write a song about her, and also wants to murder the Ambassador, well, it's time for that little compartment to open, and we truly ask, is there in truth no beauty? As Larry Farkvik goes quite insane. Crazy. Crazy eyes, Crazy Ivan, whatever you want to call it, it's whew, that Mister Farkvik is something else. So he and we and we actually uh, saw him uh, and the the uniform, I should say, at the uh, New York uh, official Star Trek tour. I should say, yes, 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 Ticonderoga. I think the only one who can't catch a break is I and our listeners. <laughs> um, uh, Larry Farkvik. Oh, I. You know, there are times when I've asked you if you're going to start trying, and now I feel the need to ask if you're going to try to start trying. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a little uh, double entendre, maybe? No, that's no, not, it's not even right that at, all. at all. <laughs> um, it's probably a double slap in the face. Oh, yes. I would like to slap you in the face twice. Yes. But um, that's, that's what I had this week. I'm sorry. I was busy. Patriots game uh, and having to give Fark a hard time because we crushed his team. and But you know what? It's still, you know, is there in truth no beauty? So, you know, got to ask the question, I suppose. I can only hope that our Patreonicals on our Discord server hate that Farkism <laughs> oh, as much as I do. I'll jump on and find out. Um, Yeah. <laughs> 
fiveyearmission.net. Please save us all from these farkisms and just buy the CDs. Oh, that's not going to stop it. Shh. Buy the CDs. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Don't forget that you, too, and you, Dan, Mm. can support the Trek Geeks Podcast Network by subscribing to us on Patreon, where you can get some some great raw audio of all of our shows. Mm-hmm. You can talk with Dan and me on on Discord. You get well, just a, a variety of stuff, and all of it goes to support the entire Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Dan, yeah, absolutely. I gotta say, who would not want to hear unedited shenanigans of the two of us? That's all I gotta say. I just like the word shenanigans. Shenanigans. So uh, uh, malarkey might be another word that we could throw in there. But it's always no. fun. We have a great time. Um, right now, though, we want to take a moment to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. As usual, we are always so very grateful for their support, and they are. Vikram Bhatt, Brad DeMag, William Edward M. Jr., Patrick Escudero, Brandon Everidge, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Jonathan Hamilton, Peter Hong, William Jackson, Ryan Jeffs, John Krikorian, Sean Lynn, Rick Mason, Jamie McGregor, Ross McKinney, Jim McMahon, Aaron Mollenkoff, Helen Reed, Sarah Rutlinger, Tim Robertson, Desi Rogers, Greg Rozier, Eric Sakian, Adam Sanders, Tim Serdar, Heather Sohn, Blake Strike, Rick Tatro, Lisa Tomlinson, Ron Robel, and the gracious and wonderful Connie Hutchins. Wow, that was very fast. It was mm. like wink, wink of an eye fast. It's like that the American Express commercials back in the day. With John Facenda? Was that? Mm-hmm. No, that was the uh, the NFL Films guy. I don't even know his name. Um, with fast. the guy who talks super fast? Super fast. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Your turn. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Of course, we want to thank the producers of the Trek Geeks podcast. We're grateful for their support as well. Mike Bovia, Steve Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Andy Davenport, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Lionel Marchon, Matt McGonagall, Darren Metcalf, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Casey Pettit, Jamie Rogers, Major Self, Casey Shafsky, Terry Shaw, Jim Stoffel, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jess Vashon. Dan, the senior producer of Trek Geeks, is the sensationally spectacular Jude Tatman. Absolutely. You know, you too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. And you know what? It is real easy to do. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks for all the details. You know, Dan, next week, you and I are going to do another deep dive into a singular episode. Uh, It's the original series, and it should be a lot of fun. It should be, because when are deep dives not fun? We always have a great time with a man. We get to talk about Star Trek. We get to make fun of the episode. We get to make fun of each other. And we get to talk how much we love it, because, yeah, it's Star Trek. So we're going to go to Deneva. We're going to have a mustached William Shatner, for a few seconds anyway. Uh, we're going to have blinded Spock and flying puke. It's Operation Annihilate, and it's next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast network. Uh, mustached or mustachioed? Ooh, mustached. No. Sabotage. Sabotage. <laughs> uh, that I will accept as an answer. Of course, okay. for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the other member podcasts here on the network. So many great shows, all created by passionate fans. And, you know, they just want to share their love of Star Trek and celebrate Gene's vision. So you can mm-hmm. find all our podcasts by uh, going, getting the free Trek Geeks mobile app or get a link to your favorite podcast player by visiting trekgeeks.com slash listen. The Trek Geeks Podcast Network. No one, I say no one, friends, talks Trek like we do. And no one reads copy like Dan Davidson. Of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, 
This has been episode number 296 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. You know, Bill, we have only trekked as far into space as our own moon. The moon is a big coconut with lots of craters and no air. It takes a month for the moon to go all the way around the Earth. Thanks, Dr. Aaron. The moon, she did not write that. The moon is not made of coconut. (laughs) One can wish. No. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Bing bong, school's in, sucker. Oh, I don't want to go to school. Bing bong, well, no. I don't say that because we're learning things this week. Oh, that's true. Well, like I'm not. I'm just, I'm as dumb as a rock. <laughs> um, Hi. I know. I think rocks might hold a few IQ points over you. Ouch. Especially the moon, which is a rock, which I didn't know. Anyway. I'm amazed. Uh, good, good, good. I'm amazed that you didn't think the moon was made of cream cheese like the old cartoons used to suggest. No, the the old man, you know, the man in the moon was like a big face, and I never got that either. And I, I never, I think I ever saw the cream cheese one. I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with that. Or cheese in general. Cheese, yeah. There's a part of um, one of the rides in Disney, Figment, the Figment ride at the end. Been on it, yeah. Uh, the, the guy's like part of the moon, and he's like, and his face is the moon. It's kind of fun. Your face is the moon. To the moon and back, baby. I'll moon you. Oh, don't, please, no. Don't moon me, please, God. So, I'm sorry, here it is. <laughs> Too late. Oh, jeez. It's like a giant whiteout. <laughs> hey, oh. I, I, I I, can do, I can say that about myself, it's fine. You, you can, you can. I won't say anything. I'll be thinking it, though. That'd be a first, though. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, um, I got a little injury I'm dealing with. My knee's really bothering me, and I got the Spartan race coming up to Sunday, so I'm a little concerned. I'm hoping oh, really, because your right. face is bothering me. Wow. Well, uh, you're not going to the Spartan race, so what do you care? Um, no, because I'm not running it this year. So? I need the plotters. <laughs> the plotters. I'm sorry, you need what? <laughs> People to cheer me on? A plotters? About to, uh, a plotters? Is that a word? I'm going to type that in right now to see if it's a word. Because I, I think I could be right. If it is, I want an apology. A plotters. You sh- certainly will not get one. Someone who applauds. There you go. It's a real word. Yeah, it's a real word, but that doesn't mean your usage of it can you know complies with anything that anybody has ever done because you're you. You can you can come up with whatever you want. I'm, I'm right. <laughs> no, no, you're not. <laughs>
It's funny. You when, didn't even know if you were right. When, when Sue and I were dating, I'll never forget this. This was like when we, so this was like over 20 years ago. Um, we were emailing back and forth and, and I said something in the email and I used the word anticipatory. And she came back with, is that like even really a word? And it is. So I use it all the time now just because it's, you know, brings back the memory of anticipatory. That which is of anticipation. I'm aware of what it means. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. It actually is a word I'm I'm quite familiar with and have used many times over the years. Uh, all right, then. Well, good. Well, it's, I, it's it's probably the only thing that I knew that she didn't ever. So I'll, I'll take that one out of the last 20 years because she knows everything else because she's smart, smarter than I am. And she's and Bill is slow clapping. I'm not sure if that's in sarcasm to me or to Sue. To, oh, I would never uh, say that you <laughs> your wife. I like her. Huh? Well, ouch. Buddy. Your wife is a wonderful human being. She is. You, however, there leave much go. to be desired. Okay. But yet here we are, recording our 296th episode, 297. I don't even know what it is. 296. That's because I'm contractually obligated to be. <laughs> I don't remember signing anything. You actually did. Did I? Oh. Yeah, it's called a partnership agreement. <laughs> oh, shoot, that's right. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> right. It's on file with funny. the state government and everything? Somewhere. I don't know. It was, oh, yeah, but if I didn't like it, then it didn't happen. And uh, I, I am calling shenanigans. Your face is a shenanigan. <laughs> I like your sweatshirt. Thank you. It's relatively new. I got it yeah. a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's very bright. That's why I liked it. You know, I, my old Boston Patriots sweatshirt is, it's like 15 years old now. And it's just, it's starting to show the wear and tear. I mean, I only wear it, you know, part of the year. Yeah. But, you know, I wait for the the fall weather and the winter. And, and, uh, it just, it's, it's about time to retire it. And I'm sad. So I, I saw this one. I like the color. I like the fact that it's got Pat Patriot, you know, the new Pat Patriot, Mm -hmm. the Elvis head, if you will. Flying Elvis, Um, yes. When we were at Gillette this past weekend, which was phenomenal, that was a that was quite an interesting uh, thing that took place. And I'll tell that story in just a second. But Sue wanted to get a shirt because she doesn't have a a, a, a a new Patriot shirt. So we during halftime we went downstairs and and found a store. And it's kind of neat because it's it's a little wrong, but it's awesome. It's a nice blue shirt, and it's got a it's got like a drawing of the stadium, and it says New England Patriots, Foxborough Stadium, even though it's Gillette. And it works. It looks good. <laughs> well, who knows if the name will stay the same? Well, that's true. Yep. Yeah. So you know they're they're enclosing the stadium. I did not. Oh, is that what I know? They're doing. That's on what's the, going on. They were talking like a complete like dome. No, no, no. Okay. Like, you know, just, there's there's an the, open end. Yeah, the lighthouse is gone. They're going to build a new lighthouse that's mm, even bigger. Yeah. So they're going to enclose that section of the stadium, and then over by where the. Uh, the, uh, the the ramps are where people yeah. can stand yep. and watch the game. I I could have this wrong, but I've been told that's going to be, you know, an enclosure too. Wow. Yeah, you can tell that they're building new suites in the area uh, in that end yeah. zone. Uh, yep. But it was pretty cool. We were just making breakfast Sunday morning at like nine o'clock, and she get a text from someone says, "Hey, uh, you guys want to go to the Patriots game today?" And we're like, "What? What? Seventy five degrees in a suite? Yeah. How could we say no?" 
And and yeah, I told can't. Sue, so as I said, the last time I was at a Patriots game was game four of the 2004 ALCS between the Yankees and the Red Sox when they started their comeback. Got home from the game that night after everybody was saying the Red Sox were going to get creamed. And I told Sue, I said, I'm not going to a Patriots game again until I go with you. And that was this past Sunday, almost 20 years later. Wow. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't buy tickets you know, before this. We just haven't really wanted to we always were like well it's so nice to watch it in you know in the living room and yeah but you know it was so gorgeous on sunday we're like we cannot pass this up and being in a suite was pretty awesome so and i got to text with fark because we were playing the colts and it was really good because they got crushed <laughs> well last time i was at a patriots colts game it was the i want to say the 2004 afc championship oh nice you went to that where i was yeah i was there in oh, snow and cold yeah um Ty Law picked off Peyton Manning like Couple two or times. three times. Yeah, yep. Um, yeah, I got to see them, you know, receive the Lamar Hunt trophy. I was freezing my butt off. That's okay, uh, though. Because up there in the 300s, the wind is bad. <laughs> it was bad on Sunday, too. Yep. Yeah, but uh, I, I will never forget that because Peyton Manning made the most Peyton Manningist face <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't even know how to make a Peyton Manning face. Yeah, because nobody can see it. Right. <laughs> But you can, and it's probably pretty grotesque. Well, it's nor it's grotesque when you don't make that face. <laughs> it's, uh, there's no change from my perspective. Oh, all right. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Wow. So yeah, that was the last time I saw Patriots Colts was uh, in the snow in the cold. I, th- I I could have the year wrong, but it was that AFC Championship where they played the Colts in Foxborough. Okay. Yeah, when I went last time in 2004, they played Seattle, and they won handily by like. I don't know, like 35 points or something like that. So, well, that's because yeah. they're the sea chickens. <laughs> the sea chickens. That's awesome. <laughs> that's fun. I've, I've never liked the Seahawks. No. Sorry to everybody that likes the Seahawks, but I just, I can't stand them. <laughs> that, Especially that's since a- Sleepy is their head coach. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's throw the ball. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> ah. Well, anyway. Um, so let's uh why don't we record an episode here? I mean we got oh. uh oh, all right. we got a great guest, you know. We well, yeah, got some definitely uh, do. some stuff to do. We're gonna talk about things at our grade level, which is amazing. That's yeah, it is. By the way, the the Patriots won that game against Seattle thirty to twenty, so it was not a big win as I thought. That's still ten points is still a big ten win. points, yeah, ten points, you know. You know, it was a Super Bowl year, so or a Red Sox uh, World Series year, rather, sorry. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's do this. It's going to be fun. <laughs> I get to read the book again. Your a World Series year. Isn't it always? Champions. No. Now, if if I could describe your face using oh, a, a sports championship metaphor, you would be the Buffalo Bills of the early 1990s. Oh, four Super Bowl losses in a row. Four. Make it to the big game four times, lose four times. Huh. Wow. That so That's your face. So I'm a loser. Uh, your words, not mine. <laughs> you ready to do this? I guess so. A loser. All right. You have no feelings. Cut it out. <laughs> wow. Ouch. I'm on fire. Coconut. 